Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. On this week's episode, we'll recap our week in fab, including Dust Till Dawn pre-releases, an update to the Living Legend status, and a major change in the fab policy and procedures guideline. So, Felix, can you share some of your Dust Till Dawn experience with us? Yeah, so that happened a couple weeks ago at this point, and it was a lot of fun to be able to draft Monarch. I missed Monarch. I was one of those people that didn't really get to experience a lot of draft Monarch. We've done it a couple times just for fun over our armories over the last couple years, but it was never relevant. But now it is because of Nationals, and man, that is a fun set. Like, every hero has some busted stuff to do. Mm -hmm. It was also really great to see people come out that I don't normally see come out. We have some people actually that only come out for pre-release events. And, you know, I I, I met quite a few new people uh, Mm -hmm. over the weekend. So yeah, it it, it was a lot of fun. I was one of those people that didn't win one of my events, uh, (laughs) despite going to three of them. Looking at Twitter, it seemed like everyone was a six-time winner of their pre-releases, but I'm I'm here to report that not everyone is a six-time winner. I went 2-1, I think, in in all three tries I had, but I had an amazing time. How about you? Nice. This was something that I was thinking about the other day that it's really important that I wanted to bring up our... I guess um, play as well as luck with opening stuff. Like like you said, you touched on that people on Twitter or social media, Discord, wherever. Everybody else's luck seems to be amazing. And it really feeds into that confirmation bias that people only post good things. Nobody ever posts or talks about stuff that doesn't go mega well or super great box opening. Um, like you, I <clears throat> went 2-1 on Friday. Saturday, I had a really good... Um, draft. I started drafting Prism. Look, I get it. Prism is really easy to draft, but nobody at the table was drafting Prism for the first few cards, so I I jumped into her, and I actually had a really good deck that Saturday, but I was also on call, and at the start of round two, I got called to go to work, so I was unable to finish that event. I also wasn't unable to capture a CF hero for the weekend, and I did open up some product as well. Uh, I didn't open up a lot, but you know what? in what I did open, I didn't get a single uh, legendary, not even an RF. And I was watching people open three legendaries in like a box and a Marvel angel. Uh, So, you know, it felt a little bad, but I think I just, I got a regular run and it sometimes it happens. And I just want people to know that if you didn't get mega spice, it's okay. Like it happens to, uh, all of us, we don't always get the lucky hits. And honestly, I was actually really um, upset uh, over that week, like not getting a hero despite going to a bunch of events, not getting good pulls when watching everybody around me pull fire. I was really disheartened and really upset. And I think I actually probably let it show to too many people. And I'm not proud of myself for the, for like that behavior. And I had to take a step back and like, just reassess that it's it's okay it happens and um you know it's not the greatest but that was um that was my week uh for the dust dawn pre-release weekend wow no i mean thank you so much for for sharing a lot of that shay i was out of town just on an airplane like i am quite often uh, on sunday so i yeah i missed seeing you um on that last day of pre-releases but i i think that message is really important at the end of the day when i think about something like a pre-release event I more or less consider myself a one in 32 shot at winning any given prize. Um, 
and you think about it if it's a 32 person event there's four prizes one mm-hmm. in eight are, are going to win something um so i i don't think people should go into these events expecting to to clean up and and win everything it's just not in the cards right and same thing for opening fire yeah. like you said I mean, you, we can just look at the distributions. Like, for every firebox that people post, I, I do ask how many dud boxes are there behind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, once in a while, people will po- post their dud boxes like, oh, woe is me. <laughs> I yep. I only got five Majestics and nothing real good out, out of this one. But those aren't the types of photos that get upvotes and a lot of engagement and... I think we we see this when it comes to different segments of society. We see this when it comes to different people. Like you, you take a look at your friends on social media. It seems like someone's on vacation all the time because people take a lot of photos when they're on vacation. Yeah. Yep. And if you if you take a look at ten friends and they're all on vacation one week, then you're getting bombarded by beautiful photos ten weeks out of the summer. That seems like you're the only one missing out. But in reality. You're just seeing everyone's highlight reels, right? Yep. So it's Absolutely. it's a it's a huge, powerful message, and yeah. really thank you for for sharing that. And it's funny too. I was so um, even now I forgot. I was so bent out of shape about not getting anything good and watching other people do really well. And even um, on one of the days that I uh, on the day I left early, I got two prize packs, and I did actually pull a Levia redeemed uh, legendary, Ooh. and I should be happy with that, but I was so um, inundated with like, like worrying about what other people were doing and what I wasn't getting that I even forget that I even pulled a legendary out of one out of two packs. So I should be happy, but it was just sort of like too much negativity. And so, yeah, I really want to change my outlook and reassess that and not worry about it so much. Right. Like I was, I was hoping that I would get a CF the weekend because I was attending so many events that I'm like, there's a chance that I get it. And I think I propped myself up too much for it. And this is sort of a repercussion for that. So, well, no, again, thank you so much for sharing that because these emotions are, are normal. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no shame in it. Um, but the, the important thing is how do you acknowledge it and, and overcome it? And I mean, the first step is acknowledging it, right. And accepting it and, yeah. Was there anything anything else that you wanted to cover about um, pre-release and release week- weekends? Yeah, I, I just read an article that there were, what, 16,000 or 17,000 unique participants uh, during all of these pre-releases. And I'm, I'm blown away by the fact that so many people showed up. I mean, this is a draft event for Monarch, and maybe on the face of it, you might think that that's not as appealing as a sealed event for a brand new set, where there's six packs of a new set uh, available to participants. But, you know, despite some murmurings um, leading up to the events, and, you know, there were some people that were very happy to get a monarch draft but then other people that may have been like lol monarch draft you know the warehouses are being cleaned out of all the extra monarch unlimited that there was a little bit of an undercurrent of that that you know i i saw because now i'm i'm part of the internet and social media (laughs) so it's an unfortunate side effect it is but it's also funny like this is a supplemental set we don't normally get to do draft during supplemental sets so this was 
I thought a really good idea, even if it is clearing out the warehouse stock, I like that we were able to do pre-release events for supplemental set because it's not something that we're usually able to do in fab. Yeah, exactly. Any excuse to play fab and yeah. get a sneak peek of new cards. Like if, if they said, you know, for the next supplemental set, the pre-release format is Chaff Goblin and we get to play with 60 cracked baubles and one one wounding blow, I'm in come on like <laughs> yeah, let's, <absolutely>. let's go <laughs> yeah. and I, I hope they actually start to do more stuff like that maybe with more pre-releases or even just other ideas like we're we're kind of seeing it in um skirmish season they're changing the way that blitz works during skirmish season seven so i hope they keep doing more things to keep the game interesting instead of just these two or, or these three static formats that we kind of have right now yeah but overall i i had a lot of fun uh on on the weekend, I did pick up uh, a couple boxes when I was on the road. Um, after spending uh, the week at work uh, at my site on the East Coast, I went uh, over to Victoria on the literal opposite side of, of Canada and uh, visited a, a LGS there, picked up a couple boxes, opened some, some stuff and picked up uh, some boxes at home as well. And overall, just really enjoyed um, release week as well mm. uh, as all the pre-release events. Um, it's a really fun set to open. Um, I, I certainly didn't open as well as uh, some other people did. Uh, but still, I I managed to crack my first Fable. Nice. Um, How was that? An, an RF. You know, the fact that it's an RF, I, I don't want to sound entitled at all. Mm-hmm. But... The fact that it's an RF and the financial value is less than some of the L's that are coming from the set, right. it yeah. just makes it feel a little bit like, yeah, it, this is great. I'm very thankful for it, but man, it doesn't feel like opening one of those Fable CNCs or what I imagine, like um, you know, a library or something. Right. Or uh, at the time, so I. yeah, yeah, that's understandable. They they do seem well, even from outsiders the plague hive kind of felt like a dime a dozen. Uh, so I, I understand what you're saying. It does seem like they kind of have a higher pull rate than, and they probably do have a higher pull rate than the CFLs, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about it because, but people don't want playable fables. Uh, that seems to be usually the, the chatter that I hear about a fable is that they don't want, um, playables, but maybe now that they're, they've kind of done this RFCF thing that maybe they can introduce playable fables when they come down to a reasonable price. I don't know what everybody's definition of a reasonable price is, but you know, maybe it's okay to add that card into, you know, make it better for whatever class or talent it's made for. Yeah. At the end of the day, no, it's a, it's a really fun thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I get to strike the, the achievement of, uh, never opened a, a fabled off my list. I, I think <laughs> yeah. that one's still hanging over you uh, for the time being. No, it's not. I've opened a few. Oh, you have. All right. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. Oh, in that case, I, I, nope. I have. I, um, just even we were doing. I don't know if you were there. We did an outsiders draft, and I actually pulled a RF plague hive. Okay, I um, I was not there. Yeah. In okay. my mind, you've you've never opened a fable, but uh, I okay, I appreciate it. Um, I opened them early <laughs> on, probably before a lot of people got into the game. Um, I had, I did have a crazy case of arc one time where I opened yeah. 
two CNCs, an RF CNC, uh, Storm Striders, and an I. And that is my claim to best case that I have. Wow. So, but that was two years ago, I guess, at this point. All right. Well, anything else? No, I think we can move into maybe the Living Legends announcement. A few frosty retirements here. Um, Living Legends. uh, So we had Icelander and Young Oldham move out of Blitz, and we had Adult Oldham, Grandfather of Eternity, move out of CC. I mean, just, uh, I mean, from my perspective, Shay, I was very excited to see your name on the Icelander um, Blitz retirement uh, site there. It's a great thing that LSS does just to to put all the event winners down and effectively immortalize uh, yep. your name for the duration of of the game, which is awesome. Um, and you, you won with Icelander before Uprising, so there was no Frost Hex, there was no Ice Vault. <laughs> Yeah, or there wasn't even waning moon, was there? Nope, it was crucial. Man, that is one scuffed Icelander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I selfishly, I kind of wish they had either like the date uh, tracked with the name as well, or maybe the block that the hero was LL'd or that you got points in. Because um, I, I do. It was a different time. She definitely did not have. Uh, the same cards, like you said, that she did. Um, but we did have access to, to cards like Snapback that were very powerful at the time um, and playing Blues. Uh, so I don't know if it's any more of an achievement uh, than when she got more cards in her pool, but it, definitely being immortalized on a list is something that myself and anybody that achieves that should be proud of. And you can go back and you can look at your name or you can show it to somebody that's interested and be like, yeah, I... I at one point in my life, I was, you know, maybe decent at this game. So, and you also are immortalized on Oldham's CC list. Um, did you also give him points uh, in Blitz or no? No, unfortunately, I, I wasn't much of an Oldham player in Blitz. Um, I've always meandered uh, throughout that format. But yeah, like I mentioned on this podcast a few weeks ago, yeah, incredibly, incredibly thankful that I managed to pull that off in the the last moment available to me and yeah it's um it it honestly made me feel quite emotional like i felt that tightening of my throat and your Mm -hmm. chest like reading the story where it sounds like and 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 they gave him a very nice send-off um like almost like a very short novella or i i don't want to say novella it it wasn't that long but just a little blurb about how he you know, Oldham in the lore was going to pass on the torch to the next generation, and it was time for him to hang up his uh, his hammer. Yeah. And it seemed very appropriate. Like, I don't know if there's too much to look into that. Does that mean we're not going to get another version of Oldham and the next Elemental Guardian will be another Bravo or Valda or someone else? Like, I, I don't know how much to, to look into that, but it was a very fitting, very touching story. And yeah. Just a, a lot of familiar names. Like the Oldham community in the Purple Discord was surprisingly tight. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, it was one of the fun channels to to hang out in, and yeah. I did appreciate all the memes over the past couple months too. Just people posting their all the uh, send offs, <laughs> all the send offs, the Viking yeah. funerals, the salutes. Yeah, it's it's been a really fun time, but uh, time to move on here. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, the next piece of topic we can move into is Worlds was announced happening in Barcelona on November 16th to 19th. Um, any thoughts on traveling to Barcelona for Worlds? So for someone like me, I don't think traveling to Barcelona is in the cards. Uh, Shay and I both live on the western side of Canada, and I don't think either of us speak any second languages that are relevant to... Uh, like thinking of it from a judge perspective, it would be a tough sell because of the travel costs yeah. and all of that. And, you know, neither of us speak German or Spanish or anything like that, which would give us a leg up in terms of requesting travel stipends and all of that. So I think this is going to be something that, at least speaking for myself, I'm going to, you know, look forward to from the sidelines. Barcelona is an absolutely beautiful city. I've heard, I've never been. But it makes me feel proud that Flesh and Blood's World Championship is going to be in an internationally recognized tier one city, S tier. I don't, I don't know yeah. how you put this in a term sure. that's not cringe. Like, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a lot different than than it being hosted in you know a, a smaller community that's maybe not as internationally recognized, right? Like, this is mm -hmm. a, a top tier city with a lot of great sites, a lot of great things to do. Yeah. Lot, yeah, lots of curb appeal to go outside yeah. of the event itself. Make a vacation of it. I could definitely see a lot of people getting out there for extra time so that they can explore and, um, you know, just visit a beautiful yeah. place. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure if any of our locals will, <laughs> will make it out there. If they do, fingers crossed for them, and we'll, we'll see what we can do to rally the troops and, and support them. But yeah. What a, what a great announcement. Yeah, I haven't heard too much chatter surrounding Worlds yet. Um, most people are talking about uh, Vegas and Nats right now. Yep. So yep. I think we're focused on that right now. Even though we're, uh, Worlds isn't that too far after those events. So <laughs> Yeah, you better book your, your tickets now if you're planning to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's much more to go over in that. Do you have anything, Felix? No, let's okay. move it along. All right, this is, we don't really have a main topic for this episode per se, but uh, I guess this is probably one of the, the biggest topics for Felix and I being judges is that there was an update to the comprehensive rules at, because Dust Till Dawn came out, but one of the most important things that just happened was the policy revamp uh, regarding missed triggers. Felix, can you explain a little bit about that, please? Yeah, I hope people are in some comfy chairs here because policy is a very interesting topic that can get uh, that people can talk a lot about depending on which judge you're talking to. Um, policy is very interesting to me, and I hope everyone has a comfy chair. But um, essentially, we are seeing a major shift in philosophy um, for how mistriggers are handled, and the bulletin that was published by LSS really explains the rationale really well, and we'll link it in the description. But essentially, the shift in philosophy is that we're moving from a prescriptive flowchart kind of way of handling mistriggers to a philosophy which gives the judge more leeway to apply partial fixes. This is something that I'm a big fan of because as the game gets more and more complicated there's going to be so many more 
types of triggers that are hard to classify as, you know, this is a detrimental trigger. This is a beneficial trigger. So for this case, let's apply the flowchart procedure for fixing a mistrigger beneficial or mistrigger detrimental. When you look at something like a ponder token, you know, the the fact that it says destroy this token makes it detrimental. But the effect is is positive. So same thing for a frostbite token. You know, when you destroy it, is it beneficial or detrimental? Which one do you, do you apply? As the game evolves, we're only going to see more and more of these triggers that are complicated. So either we make more and more flowcharts that capture each of these unique circumstances, or you just give the judge the flexibility to make the appropriate fix um, given the status of the game. So all in all, that's the shift in philosophy. I guess just to throw it back to you, Shay, between the two of us, I bet you have fixed a lot more mistriggers than than I have just because you've been judging for so long and for so many tournaments locally. What's your impression of, of this change? I'm with you. I like that it makes judging a bit simpler because like you already touched on that it's the game is only going to get more complicated with your example of ponder being destroyed and it being a detrimental trigger right now a lot of triggers feel like they're detrimental the way they're currently described in the in the rules when they shouldn't be classified as detrimental so i like that we're getting rid of that and then we're streamlining the the trigger system to make it a lot more simple and when we were talking about this earlier there right now um there was no incentive for an opponent to pick up a mistrigger for their opponent and so because you can kind of like you know what the rules are i think people can then use the rules to their advantage if they had to i i guess this is maybe a rule sharking scenario but you know what the procedure is going to be or what the procedure is likely to be as a player because of this scenario and now that I think this new policy kind of shaves that down a little bit and the likely fix is going to be the result that should have happened in the first place. So there is no gaining a, an advantage that you shouldn't have had in the first place. So I really like that um, aspect about it. And that's probably my favorite thing about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And because this is such a big shift philosophically, I completely expect it's going to take some time for the full ramifications of this to be seen and to be understood properly by everyone. Um, And also to make sure that judges everywhere are aware of how other judges are, are putting in place these fixes and just to, just to help spread some consistency Mm -hmm. and just to make sure everyone's expectations are are aligned. Um, anyone uh, that, for example, uh, picks up on a, a trigger and expects that their opponent should be, you know, should miss their opportunity to have that beneficial effect, but then is surprised when the appropriate fix by the judge is a rewind to restore the game state, that could initially lead to some disappointment because those expectations are not made clear there has been a little bit of chatter on on twitter um 
just uh, about some uh, some situations which may have happened recently. I don't know anything about the specific details, yeah. but what I do suspect um, is that we'll just need some time to make sure everyone understands um, the intention uh, of the new policy and just to get used to this new way of handling things. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up and ask you about the online chatter regarding that. So you you already answered that for me. And the other thing that I like about the article that I do kind of want to touch on is they talk about um, the May clause in triggers. And it kind of gave me a little insight into the way that developers design the game. So in spe the specific example was uh, at the beginning of your turn for Final Spring Tunic was you may add an energy counter to the tunic. And I, as a board gamer, I always thought that was a ridiculous clause because if this, I always looked at board games as a video game. So if I'm supposed to have this thing, the video game would automatically give it to me. So I never understood the May clause in something like the tunic. And so this article basically says that there's a couple of design concepts that they're using is they want um, mandatory triggers and cards are um, designed around a mandatory trigger uh, activating. And it's very important to the way that card works. So they don't want that to be missed. But then they have what they call basically a skill check, which is what the tunic is, is that you may put a counter and if you don't, then you missed it. And so they, they want cards that have skill checks. And so it kind of just gave me a, a bit more of appreciation into um, design intention in the game. Yeah. And and just to, to further that, uh, one of the least favorite calls I've had to make as a judge is, you know, there, there was a, a call that came up a Briar player had resolved uh, So Tomorrow as their second non-attack action in a game and then proceeded to, you, you know, draw a card and put put a card back, uh, I forget, on the top or bottom of, of their deck, yep. and then created an embodiment token because it was their second non-attack action and their opponent called, okay, like, right. judge, it's a missed trigger. Under the old regime... This is a missed trigger because yeah, the yeah. the window has passed, so you know it's lost. Your your opponent can choose to add it to the stack or not, and you, you know, no, you it it's missed. It it feels from a non competitive background, something like that feels silly. That basically three things are happening, and I don't get something because I didn't do in the right order, and we didn't even get past um, a point in the game state where. It even should shouldn't be recognized at that point. I under, I understand, like you said, the way it was written as rules, um, but yeah, it always kind of felt weird to be able to be like, nope, you don't get it because you missed it, even though it was sort of still encompassed in that action. Yeah, and from from my perspective, with reading the new policy now, and of course, I still have to be educated as a judge to make sure that that the way that I read it now is in alignment with the head judge for whatever event I'm going to be at, or just in line with, with the broader judge community to make sure that there's some, you know, some standards being set. Um, yeah. But now I understand that I would have the ability to apply a minor rewind just to say, there's no new information being gained here. You know, the, 
there was no advantage to the player controlling the triggers to missequence this slightly. Um, and I, I would be able to to apply a partial fix that would restore the game state to, to what it should have been. And of course, there could be an argument that ordering your own triggers properly and not missing the exact windows is a skill. Is a skill check, I, yeah. Yep, I, I do understand that, but... At the same time, Flesh and Blood is a game where there's so many shortcuts. You know, for example, being attacked and saying, take five, or, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we shortcut so much. And I mean, Shay, I, I submitted a script a while ago about um, it, this is like a comedy sketch of two people playing a game, going through every single step exhaustively. And it takes like an hour to go through a full turn cycle. Yep. Just with all the priority passing and checks mm-hmm. and all that. Like, this is a game of shortcuts. And from my personal opinion, and all opinions are my own here, <laughs> it's like I, I, I really want games to be decided by the skill of the players and the strategy choices and the tactics being chosen, not on technicalities, even if testing technicalities is, you know, can be considered a skill as well. But of course, there's always a balance and there's always going too far in the lenient direction too. So mm-hmm. this stuff will I, take some I understand. Time. And yeah. I think too, one of the things that I don't think I've ever really heard anybody discuss is that when it comes to shortcuts, there's heroes that you can do shortcuts with and there's heroes that you can't. You sit down against Kano, you can't just be like, I'm going to do this thing and I'm not going to give you a priority window to respond. You have to say, I'm going to attack you with my sword. Would you like to do anything? Because that Kano has instants, but you sit down against a, I don't know, maybe a Reinar or somebody who is usually very straight faced and you can, you can shortcut to be like no blocks. I'm just going to go straight to D reacts. Um, and usually it's safe. Uh, you know, there is always the chance that they have a niche attack reaction or something like that, that might, you may get kind of burnt on, but for the most part, you know, I, I, I would usually try and play to the hero that I'm either playing or or who I'm sitting down against. Like today um, in our armory, I was playing Swordfish Riptide against Arachne. And we both had a defense reactions for days. Uh, she could have attack reactions as well. And it was a very exhaustive match in that manner, always properly passing priority because I didn't want somebody to get an advantage by shortcutting it was very important to sequence each of our turns appropriately especially because the arachne had attack reactions and i didn't want to just go no blocks and throw d reactions and give away what i'm trying to do i also needed to wait for certain windows so i think one of the things i would say is yeah play to your play to the, the heroes um you know whether you need to pass those priority windows or or if you can shortcut um, but i i get Sometimes shortcutting can cause a lot of problems and confusion on something like a codex of frailty from a ranger. And then all of a sudden the arrows on the combat chain and you're like, where did this arrow come from? You know, and you just have to kind of talk it through and slow it down a little bit at times as well. Yeah. Was, was that a sneaky transition into battle hardened Cincinnati? It it was a little bit. Wow. And if we didn't want to go there, that was totally fine. But it was it was a thing that happened on stream. I vaguely saw it. Um, I know the casters talked about it, and I guess there was even 
more about that, but I don't know, so I can't speak on it. Yeah, I mean, we we don't need to go into to the details, but Codex um, on stream, this was in the finals. The fact that Codex puts whatever you retrieve from the graveyard into your arsenal face down um, is relevant when you are under the impact of, I believe it was Warmongers, um, where the player chose War, the Lexi player, and couldn't yeah. activate Lexi to, to flip up that card. Um, so, so many players just shortcut Codex. They either leave the card face up in Arsenal, um, forgetting that it has to be turned face down, yeah. or they, like you said, um, put it straight onto the combat chain. So I completely believe that there was absolutely nothing malicious on the part of either player, especially the Lexi player. It's such a common shortcut. But as we read, as we go into a new meta, these are the kind of fun things that we're going to start running into. There's all these new interactions, and I mean these these cards aren't even new. But uh, yeah. I guess Warmongers is scratch that. But things like Ice Spine, things like In Case that shut off the hero abilities potentially, um, those are old. So we theoretically have had this type of interaction existing. Um, for quite some time, and it's just going to take some time to to get used to all of these things again. Nice. Do you have anything yeah. else to add about Battlehardened Cincinnati? It was a great tournament to watch. I, I don't want to harp on the, the <laughs> rules things, but man, yeah. the level of production quality and the games, and man, Arcane Icelander winning, I mean, you must have been happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I took inspiration for my Lethbridge PQ arcane icelander from ria uh it was basically her decklist with a couple of meta tweaks and her sideboard and i found really good success with it so yeah they're a good player and congratulations to to ria i did want to touch that i found some success with their youtube channel and even talking to them i reached out to her and let her know that hey i did really well because she's a content uh creator she is on hit effect on hit effect yeah yeah on youtube you know, I think that if somebody's a content creator, they do want to hear those positive moments. So I definitely wanted to reach out. And I don't ever want to, not that I think I'll get into the limelight, but I don't ever want to get into the limelight and make it seem like I created some deck that I won a semi-major event with because I'm not a deck builder like some other people and I want to give credit where credit is due. So I did want to kind of mention that. Yeah, and I, I bet that that comment really brightened her day and it cost you nothing. So... Just spreading mm-hmm. a little bit of good cheer. <laughs> it's, uh, it's always a good thing to do. Yeah. Well, besides that, no, I, again, just the my closing comment was, man, the production quality of the stream uh, with the Savage Feats team was so good. I am, mm-hmm. I'm really, really looking forward to, to that. Um, I think it was spoiled on the stream that uh either ethan or the savage feats team will be taking care of the stream for canadian nationals but very very excited for that as well of course that we'll be getting hopefully that level of production quality for for our nationals yeah i don't want to beat a dead horse but if their quality doesn't even improve from this point fab's streaming um life is in great hands already if they don't ever improve like what they already have is i couldn't have asked for a better production and you get a lot of insight into 
players' hands and their faces and even what's going on on the table. There's so much information there without even having a great casting team behind them. So, yeah, I'm really excited for the, the future of that. Okay. Well, like you mentioned at the beginning, we don't really have a main topic after news for today. Um, we've just come off of some pretty awesome interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have four straight weeks of interviews lined up after this. So this is Shay and I's chance just to relax and talk about some news and and just enjoy each other's company, I guess, for, for a little bit here. <laughs> yeah. So not a heck of a lot we, we want to talk about for a main topic, but we did cover off the last couple of weeks of news and the pre-release and the new set release. So why don't we just cap off this episode by a little bit of discussion on video games and Shay, I, I have to ask, what have you been playing lately? Uh, just before the Steam summer sale ended, um, I picked up Inscription and Outer Wilds. Um, I've really only played a little bit of Inscription. I haven't had a lot of time. Uh, I'm not very good at it, even with all my Slay the Spire and Monster Train experience. I'm struggling to get past the second boss. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding and my little bit of knowledge into the game, that's only a piece of the game. And the cabin is really where the game shines. So I'm looking forward to uncovering the story that is Inscription. The Outer Wilds, I've played like 20 minutes. And this I weirdly picked this game up off of a Reddit post. I think the title of the Reddit post was in our gaming, and it was something to the effect of, what video game do you wish you could play again or something like that, or that you can't play or something like that. And basically all of the top comments were something to the effect of, I'm sad that I can't experience outer wilds for the first time again. Some of the follow-up comments were basically don't look into the game because it'll spoil it also. So I kind of picked this up on some Reddit comments and zero prior knowledge. Um, Have you had any experience with either of these games, Felix? Yes. So I I love the fact that, and I had no idea that you were going to answer these um, games before this <laughs> podcast. I yeah. am genuinely like beaming with happiness right now because let's start with Inscription. Um, what a creepy game. Like I have never been <laughs> as creeped. I don't play a lot of horror games. Like yeah. let's be honest, yeah, but yeah. But Inscription, because you don't expect a deck builder, roguelike kind of game to have that kind of atmosphere. I'm very used to being very mechanical, slay the spire, I died, let's rerun. Man, that game creeps me out, like especially the first part, which you're on. Mm -hmm. And the way that it subverts your expectations time and time again is amazing. Like I'm, I'm very happy that you're getting to experience that. But man, Outer Wilds is is something else like janice and i um played it together um and yeah i echo you know this is maybe one of the the rare times reddit is correct maybe i'm being unfair to reddit (laughs) i don't know maybe taking some cheap shots at reddit here but (laughs) not hard if you want to talk about a game that really immerses you if you buy in and this is the the critical thing right like you 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 have to buy into a narrative game like this if if you just look at a game like outer wilds you're like this is stupid why can't i shoot where's the enemies i'm not i'm bored like you're not going to get a lot out of outer wilds but 
I'm even reminded of our interview with Dylan um, about immersion in a game and the Ludo narrative. Like Outer Wilds blends its gimmick of you know the the cycles resetting with the gameplay with the reason why everything's going on and that organic sense of discovery i'm just gushing about this game because i love it so much like we laughed like janice and i both cried like as we played because Mm -hmm. it was very touching and yeah it was it was an incredible game i'm so excited that you get to experience it and yeah no spoilers don't spoil it yourself I can only imagine how hard it is to talk about the game, but try and remain spoiler free off of the top of your head. So I do appreciate that you were yeah. doing that. Um, I have died a couple of times, so I am aware of that part, yeah. <laughs> but that's about as much as I have. I have like maybe, you know, 45 minutes into the game. So I haven't had a much chance. I'm an awful pilot. So I have a lot of <laughs> learning right. how to fly the the craft and how it works. But yeah, so I'm I'm playing those two right now. I kind of want to finish both of them um, yep. before Starfield comes out. Okay. So that's kind of part of why I picked up Outer Wilds was sort of like a sci-fi prep for Starfield. So we'll see. We'll see if we can get there. Um, how about try, yourself? Uh, you, oh, sorry. But uh, but b- before we move on, try try playing it with your your wife if she's interested. Um, okay. I didn't because... know you could do co-op. Uh, it, it's not co-op, but it, okay. it's just watch while I play okay. because the narrative is so good and you piece it together yourself. Like Dylan mentioned um, how, you know, the FromSoft games, they don't just give you a huge cinematic and you see yeah. everything happening like a movie in front of you. Outer Wilds is a little bit more fed to you than like Dark Souls because okay. it will give you like snippets of logs and journals and all that to read but piecing together the mystery you don't have to be at the controls to appreciate it um like she can help you pick where do i go there's three different places i i can go let's go here or let's go to the water planet let's go to this creepy looking plant thing like yeah yeah there's there's a lot of moments of discovery that can touch you whether you're at the controls or or watching we we really enjoyed doing that. Okay, thank you. Yeah. How about how about yourself? What are you playing lately? Man, I mean, I wish I could be experiencing Outer Wilds for the first <laughs> time, but uh, sadly not. Um, I'm I've been playing Wild Frost lately, so this is a roguelike um, card game. So it, it's kind of a trope to say it's like Slay the Spire, but and I imagine that to real fans of the genre it's very very akin to saying my card game is like magic the gathering but yeah um, it's basically committing the same logical fallacies as we've uh as we've identified earlier but mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's a card battler game it has a really really cute aesthetic um and it is incredibly difficult like you are losing left right and center <laughs> in ways that i have not experienced uh even yeah. in in slay the spire but it's a lot of fun uh the runs are quick it is possible to master the game i know that there's people with like a hundred win streaks uh with oh, wow. the maximum difficulty i have no idea how they're doing it i'm struggling to to beat it at like two out of three difficulty modifiers is that the one that has like a main character in the deck or something like that yeah so you start with a character 
man, this sounds like fab. Like you start <laughs> with a main character that yeah. always starts on the field. Oh, does and okay. yeah, and it's it has a tactical layer where there's some grid spots, and your character has a cooldown. So your character might have a cooldown of three. So every three turns, your character triggers and attacks. Okay. And your opponents are all lined up on the grid, and you have cards that you can play out of your hand. Like, you know, this is a sword slash. It does two damage. Mm. Or you can play cards that buff the characters that you have on the field. Uh, so it's it's partially managing your deck and your hand and choosing the right cards to play, but it's also also managing the cooldowns of your different characters on the field, moving them around so the right ones are taking hits because you can see what your enemies are going to do, telegraph to just like slay the spire. So really fun game. I just haven't uh, fully uh, grasped it yet, so I'm just yep. dying all the time. But I'm I'm having a great time. I'd really recommend it to anyone that's um, a fan of the genre. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it makes me sad because the 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 game is excellent. Like, it's really good game. Again, really great aesthetics, really cute, great music. I like the game design and the Steam reviews are like forty percent or something, and all of the reviews are like, "This is too hard." Really, and it, it I just didn't know that. it just makes me sad. Huh. It makes me sad that people do that. I briefly yeah. looked into it when I saw it, and I thought there was a lot of hype and excitement around the game. So I was kind of kind of surprised to hear you say that. Less positive re- reviews. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's it's a shame. This is where I have my boomer moment. I say kids these days don't want to work <laughs> for their <laughs> yeah. their games. <laughs> But no, I don't know what it is. That just kind of irks me because the the game is really good. I did get it off a recommendation from actually Reddit again, so another Reddit win. Okay, Thanks. yeah. And I'm I'm sorry for insulting you earlier, Reddit. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, do you have anything else to add for the episode? We've uh, done a pretty good job of filling a nothing episode with almost our usual runtime. You know, I'm I'm glad that once we we say we're going to do a short episode, it's actually a little bit shorter. I am really looking forward to the interviews that we have coming up. And, you know, really, if you're still listening here, really, really appreciate you sticking with us and listening to Shay and I just uh, ramble and, and chat with each other. If there's a sweet video game recommendation that uh, that you have for us, please let us know. I know Shay and I have slightly different tastes, but we also have a lot of overlap. And if there's anything that's similar to one of the Souls games or Diablo for Shay or for Outer Wilds or Wild Frost or Against the Storm for me, always looking for for something else to uh, to entertain ourselves with. So you can find us on social media, on YouTube, IP2 Podcast, on Twitter, IP2 Podcast, on Mastodon, IP2 Podcast at wraith.social. Thank you so much. This episode will be discussing our week's past in FAB, as well as Living Legend announcements and something to do with the... Something to do. That's so dumb. <laughs> okay.